Abysses, aka responsible proper social distance shit talking from spare bedrooms across exurban Atlanta. Welcome to the Godless Heathens Podcast, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Don. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jerry. This is a podcast by atheists that talks about a lot of things, not just atheism. We will challenge your assumptions and ours too. Definitely not here to preach to the atheist choir, but to critique, ridicule, and poke fun at anyone, especially ourselves. So join us as we examine the crossroads of politics and religion from this secular perspective. And remember, don't believe everything you hear in this podcast, or anywhere else for that matter, until you've independently verified it for yourself. In other words, duck, duck, go that shit. Episode 69. I can't think of anything. I've been racking my brain and I cannot come up with a single pop culture reference for the number 69. Just drawing a blank. If you know of said reference, email us. <laughs> At thegodlessheathensatyahoo.com. <laughs> or, always, subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher app. Five stars would be lovely. Give us six if you could. Oh, yeah, we have a Facebook group, too. When they're not busy advocating boogaloo groups, you could join the Godless Heathen Facebook page. <laughs> it didn't sound sincere, did it? The whole idea of, of having you implore people to engage in social media is <laughs> it's only going to go so far. Let me tell you about the Bible and why I really <laughs> exactly. find it useful in my life. Well, Jeff, I know you're just chomping at the bit to tell us what you're drinking tonight. So what I'm uh, drinking right now is called Head Full of Doubt. It's a collaboration, a Monday night brewery collaboration with a Colorado brewery company called Weldworks. Uh, I can't remember the town out in Colorado, but this is a triple experimental IPA. It's at 10%. Wow. So the second one is going to be a little little down from that. That one is called Road Full of Promise. So hopefully there's going to be some promise ahead. So that's what you're going to break into later in the show is the second one? Yeah, you know, because okay. I'm, I'm full of doubt, but I have, I'm looking forward to our resolutions. So Go ahead, Jerry, what you got? No, I'm going to let you go. Oh, okay. I'm having, and this one I don't need anybody to help me pronounce. This is a gnarly head, which is one of my favorite Zinfandels. It's an old vine Zin. This is a Lodi Zinfandel from Gnarly Head. I think I've had this before on the podcast, but very good. The old vine Zins are probably my favorite red wine. You know, I, I like the red blends, but when I'm drinking just wine from one grape, the the old wine Zen seem to be my favorite. And I'm going to bring the beer selection part of the show down. Although I'll see you, I'll see your 10% and raise you to 10.5. Whoa. I'm drinking a Wild Leap Cookies and Cream Stout. And hopefully this does not set the tone for the show, but it is disappointing. Really? Oh, no. Because usually Wild Leap makes some good stuff. This one, unfortunately, is a miss. Even though I've had the prescribed 
three sips before commenting. So what are the flavors in there that are causing disappointment? It's a milk stout, and I guess I expected more out of the beer and out of the brewery. But feeding off that disappointment, how's this week been? Oh, jeez. I don't know how you how we rate these anymore. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like every week you think, well, it can't get any worse than this. And then the next week rolls around and you're like, I guess it did. It ain't getting any better. Yeah, I kind of found it, honestly, fraying at the edges a little bit, mentally and emotionally. Hmm. Even though I know that people have it way worse, trapped in tiny apartments, having to work kids at home, not working, being forced to work, sick relatives, stupid people that live around you that refuse to wear masks as cases spike all over the place. And then cough at you when you call them out on it. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. I did kind of find myself just like a little raw. Hmm. It all started to weigh, in addition to obviously... All the terrible stories in the news. A couple of weeks of kind of unprecedented conflict. I can't stop it from going in my head. I can't just have it go in my head and exit without it like leaving a mark. And after so many marks, it's starting to bug me. And maybe because it took so long, I'm saying it from a privileged position. Felt that way anyway. Which part is bugging you the most? All of it. So there's no one overriding angst? Hmm. No, because there's so many things to angst over. Yeah. I can't decide which one on any given day is the most angsty. Because for me, is the mask thing because we're seeing spikes and increases in people getting COVID, people dying from COVID, and it's not going to get any better as people get more and more obnoxious with their non-mask wearing. It's a political statement now. Yeah, it is. Katie just went to Kroger's to get some stuff for this weekend, and she said probably more than half are not wearing masks. And, you, you know, you have to pass them in the aisles and all that kind of thing. It's, it's like, what is wrong with you people? Are they really that stupid, or do they really think that the virus is vanquished during the summer? I mean, this is the way that we can make it until we get a vaccine, which is not going to be right around the corner. But if people are going to continue to be this blatantly stupid, it's not going to go well. And that pisses me off you know, more than anything, because that's kind of the dark umbrella kind of hanging over every single day is this is not normal. This is not normal. And it's like people are thinking it is, but it's not. But you have probably listened to a dozen podcasts. In fact, including the one that you recommended last time on conversion, that peeling to that logic or casting that aspersion that they're stupid are the worst ways to try and convince somebody to do something differently. Right. Which is why I don't say anything. <laughs> well, except on your podcast. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I get it. I totally get it. Your frustration, because that, that's one that I didn't even mention that as a frustration. And in some ways feels like designed to wear you down and designed so you don't care. And because people that don't care are people that have given up and don't expect things to change, maybe don't want them to change. I think that's probably a big part of it. If your acceptance of COVID is on the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross five stages, where are they? Are those folks in denial? That's a good question. Never thought about it in that framework. Yeah. Where does don't care 
fit in there. That's not one of the stages. Or, <laughs> need a sixth stage in there, complacency. or Not even that. Willful ignorance would be a, a sixth stage to put in there because that's where they're there at. There used to be ten stages, but she dropped one of the tablets, and it was the five stages. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Sorry, good Mel Brooks reference. No, never hurt. There's a lot of people getting sick in churches. A lot of people getting sick in churches. I'd be interested to see what the actual numbers of all the new cases that are coming out, how many of those are traceable back to a church service. You want people to be traced? Yeah, I know. I, I live in a fantasy world. What are, you, what are you getting religious? There was a story I saw about a California church that had an outbreak and the members of the church, even the ones that got sick, are actively fighting against tracing. They don't want the tracing to happen, which is that's, just insane. Yeah, that, that's, there's no sense in that at all. But, I mean, the the other true test is going to be this Saturday, you know, with the big Trump rally in Tulsa. So you hear on, at least for me, left Twitter and left social media, left media, that this rally is the biggest super spreader event ever to happen in COVID history. And the other side's going to say... Y'all have been in the streets side by side for more than a week, and this is a super spreader event. Now, I get that indoors is worse, no masks are worse, but there were plenty of people outside protesting that didn't have masks on. Yeah, there was too many people outside protesting that didn't have masks on. Right, but there were a lot of people bending over backwards to defend the right to protest, going out of their way to talk about how the protesters were almost like morally virtuous because they're wearing masks. They weren't always wearing masks. You know, there were a lot of protests for a lot of days. Not everybody was wearing a mask. But we're going to focus on their super spreader event. Our super spreader events are righteous. Their super spreader event, bad, unscientific. You know, if anything, our super spreader event could have been a little bit worse because not only did we not have a lot of people wearing masks, but you had people chanting and yelling and, you know, it was outside, like you said, but, you know, you're going to have people cheering for at, at the Trump rally, and, but you're not going to have the way it was at the protest. One guy with a bullhorn, I say this, you say that, you know, that kind of a organized chanting, which is just putting droplets all out into the environment. For sure. But it's like we knew that it, it goes against everything we have been kind of saying, or religious term, preaching for several months, our cause is right. Our cause is just. We're going to get out there and do it. Tell everybody, hey, we're not being hypocrites about that whole thing. We're, we're all wearing masks. I think one of the biggest differences between the two events is I think a lot of people at our super spreader event, if, if you wanted to go and protest and you knew you were somehow had a compromised immune system, then you probably stayed home and did not actively engage in the protest, but your heart was there. I think there's going to be a lot of people at this Trump rally that are older, that fall into the categories that are more susceptible to this, that are not even going to think twice about it and go. That actually is kind of the point, though, is we're justifying ours and talking about how our people are going to take precautions, but not them. Not those people. I think a lot of people at both rallies showed up thinking, hey, I'm in my 20s. Chances are I'm not going to catch this anyway. Or if I do, I'll survive. 
But somebody who, for whatever reason, is older or or has immunity issues, they may think twice about going and protesting uh, like they have been out in the streets the last few weeks. But I don't think, maybe I'm looking at it through tinted glasses, but I don't think that the person that's going to show up at a Trump rally is going to take that into effect. Right. That's kind of my point. Tarzan voice. Us, good. Them, bad. Us, take precautions. Them, super spreaders. There's probably going to be some truth to it. But it feels super tribal. And we know that expressing the righteousness of your cause doesn't change anyone's mind. Right. It just entrenches people even more. Do your best and tell me about Jesus and the Bible. See how far you get. Vice versa. It's fairy tales. You know, no, You know. It's, none of it's true. It's unscientific. See how far we get with that. Yeah. There's no connection piece there. Right. None. Yeah, we've got about a good a chance of sitting quiet and listening to their point of view as they do to ours at this point. The way I'm kind of reframing this, thinking through both sides, is the protesters that we had out there are trying to move the needle on justice. And so that side, and I'm on that side, sees that as probably worth the risk. I didn't go out there and do that because I'm in the old guy uh, category. And so, you know, at first I was thinking the the Trump rally, well, that's just for entertainment. They just want to go and see this guy yuck it up. And so it's just entertainment. I think that's how Trump probably sees it. But I think that they also see this as a protest against the other side. Them showing up in that stadium, mask or not, is a protest. Both sides are protesting. Do you guys agree with that take or, or not? Totally. Us people good, them people bad. And they're protesting against the incursion of liberal policies and taking away uh, evangelical white Christian rights and things like that. So both sides are seeing rights being taken away. So both sides have equal need to protest against the other side. It's not about rights or privilege. It's a blessing. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we, we whites are not uh, privileged. We're blessed. Why did you do that? <laughs> well, yeah, I probably shouldn't because Lou Giglio doesn't have a uh, southern accent. So tell us about Lou Giglio because this one on a scale of 1 to 10, your ire meter was at about 13. Is it the Reverend Giglio? The very Reverend the super reverend? Well, he's uh, super mega influential, yes. He wasn't on your radar at all. That name didn't mean a thing. Up until a week ago, I would not have known who this person was by name or by face. He was completely off my radar. Apparently, the guy's huge and he lives in the same city as we do. Well, he, what he needs to do is buy time after Saturday Night Live and then we will know who he is. Exactly. Well, you know who he is, though. No, we don't. So I, I'm going to make you go, oh, that's who that is. In the 2013 inauguration of Obama, he was scheduled to be the pastor that gave the benediction. How? How did that come about? How? Well, I mean, it was probably not the wisest choice by whoever's on Obama's team 
They didn't vet him very well. How did he ever even make it on the short list of possibilities, though? Because in the evangelical realm, he's a mover and a shaker. Okay, but was Obama evangelical? Did he go to any? He didn't go to any evangelical church. No, did he? and so I, so I never understood. Like, why are you picking him? And didn't he end up going with Rick Warren? Was he the substitute for him? I don't remember. But the reason Giglio got booted out was because they found out that he was very much anti-gay. And it's like, well, that didn't quite fit with the Obama administration mindset at the time. So they got a lot of pushback for selecting him. I heard about this, about him this last week. This is not a, oh yeah, kind of revelation. I I don't remember this happening at all. Still, the name didn't click, but it's like you knew there was something going on there. So, and I think one of the reasons he got selected for that is he raised a lot of money for human trafficking. I think that's a thing that Obama thought, oh, that's kind of cool. But anyway, the other thing where he's got a lot of power, I guess, the way I would say it, is every year he has a what's called a passion conference. And, and that's aimed at high school and college kids. And they filled, I think the last year, they filled the uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which I forget how many that thing holds. 70,000, easy. And so these are the young and up-and-coming future evangelicals. So he's very influential on these people. So he's got a lot of followers. That's what I understand about him that I, in that piece I read was that that's kind of his wheelhouse. Is he is cultivating the high school student and the college student. That's yes. kind of his target right. audience yeah. for his ministry. Yeah, you know, which is if, you, if, if the evangelical church is to survive, they need to make sure that uh, they have the young people. An influx of fresh young people. Right, yeah. And a lot of these are either current youth pastors or going to be youth pastors and then future pastors. So this is not a nobody just making a stupid statement. We didn't talk about the stupid thing you said, though. Oh, okay. Well, I, I just assumed everybody heard about it. We referenced it. What was the uh, open mouth insert foot moment that he had? It, well, so basically this was, so at least this is a church that is not doing in-person church yet. So this was recorded, I think, this last Sunday. And it was a three-way conversation with uh, Christian rapper Lecrae. And for some odd reason, uh, Chick-fil-A CEO Dan Cathy. So it was like the three of them in this conversation about race. During this conversation, he had this brilliant idea that the problem that evangelicals and, uh, you know, white people are having is with the word white privilege. That turns people off. His idea was, well, if that word is the roadblock, maybe we ought to change that phrase. And so he suggested white blessing. So the quote is this, is we understand the curse that was slavery, but we miss the blessing of slavery that actually built up the framework for the world that white people live in. Which has to be probably the most tone-deaf thing ever said. Yeah, I would think he didn't bounce that off a committee. This was not given to a focus group for input. Right. But those guys don't do that, for the most part. They may water down some of the sharper edges of their theology, but they don't focus group stuff like that because... That's the Lord's word. Uh-oh, I think I heard beer too. Crack. I'm looking for the road full of promise. <laughs> Look out. Is that also ABV 10? No, this this one is uh, only 8.3. Right, sissy beer. Yeah. Wimp. Like a lot of things these days, there is some truth to what he said. Because the term white privilege does rub people the wrong way. 
And by the way, I was one of them because the way it was used and the way I received it were on different levels because it felt like they know you, they know you, everything about you, the preconceived notion, we're just going to slot you right in there because you are this, that, or the other thing. You are lumped in with that group. And there there are definitely times that that was just like, you don't know me. You don't, you don't know my story. I understand what you're saying. I think the first time I heard that, I kind of recoiled a little. But say, and, and the same thing with defund the police. The first time I heard defund the police, I was like, that's a horrible idea. Once I realized exactly what that entailed, what that meant, then I was, oh, well, that, that makes sense. There's actually a lot of truth there. May not be the, the best heading or, or, or the best you know, phrase for it underfund or not even underfund the police or fund the police less. I mean, it just doesn't roll off the tongue. Reform. Reform the police. Yes. Yeah. Reform the police. That's a very good way to put it. And and it's much more truthful. But that's going to be the schism in the non-right world because there are plenty of people that say and mean it. Defund them. Not, not reform, not use their money differently, not, you know, have... Uh, unarmed people deal with mental health issues and it, it's like no when we say defund we mean it yeah there are plenty of people who would be perfectly fine taking the word defund and replacing it with abolish and, and that's what they think of when they think of defund the police no doubt it sounds great and feels good in a rally there's a lot of people that think that White privilege means that if you're white, then it's just the land of milk and honey and, and the streets are paved with gold, you know, kind, kind of a thing that everything's just laid out for you. And some people argue that it, that it is. But just like anything else, there's varying shades of gray. I think part of the problem is we tend to think of things individualistically, that we're, when we're saying, you know, that you have white privilege, you have to really understand, or, you know, at least that's the way I'm interpreting that is that you individually, you know, may not be responsible on a day-to-day basis, but you operate in a society that does currently privilege people that are white. The systems are set up that bend in your direction. Right, right. It's the same kind of thing with what Louis was trying to say, I think, is, you know, the whites have been, you know, I hate the word blessed because it's got a lot of religious connotations to it, which is why it's a stupid thing for him to use. He is a preacher. Yeah, but I can see where he thought that might plug in because we have a lot of things that others do not have because of the way society's set up. I think he absolutely thought that he had a paradigm shifting thought with this yeah, yeah. and thought this was going to catch on. It was going to be a t-shirt. Oh, yeah. This is going to start a movement. Yeah, you think so? What if he knows his audience? First of all, it totally plays into what he believes, is that anything that good happens is a blessing from the Lord. That fits 100%. And the people in his probably stadium-sized house of worship, that's what they want to hear. They don't want to hear privilege. They don't want to be thought of as, as retrograde or not of the moment. So, hey, let's assign all the good things that have happened to you as a blessing from the Lord. He probably thought that hit a home run. How can anybody not like that? And it probably did with his own, like you say, the the, the people of his own audience probably thought, hey, that's a good way to think of that. Just the fact that he thought that one of the ways of going about changing systemic racism is to make white people feel better about the terms used 
just shows his privilege to begin with. His blessing, Don, not his privilege. His blessing. I'm really bad with these terms. Well, you're white. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that's kind of the whole approach is, you know, you want to make it so it's not that hard of work to do. I mean, to me, this whole conversation that he set up was kind of strange, but I kind of understand, you know, that philosophy is that, so he's asking Lecrae, you know, as the representative for the whole black community, and actually, if you look at the amount of time that Lecrae was allowed to speak versus the other two told you, they weren't really there to listen anyway. They just wanted to make it sound like there was a conversation going on. So if you really want to understand racism in America, there's lots of resources out there. Jeff. take a little bit of hard work. Jeff. What? There is not a chance that that was ever their intention. No. Ever. They want to make it easy. Okay. Because I've been waiting to ask you this question. Yeah. What made (laughs) you so mad about this? Because I've seen this so many times before. Hang on one second. I just want to state for the record, Don, that he did not take any issue with my question. No. (laughs) Like, none. I didn't really get that mad. It's like, okay, here's why I was really mad. Wait, rephrase it then. I must have missed the context. <laughs> uh, it was kind of a leading question. You did not skip a beat on it because it did make you really mad, like evangelical mad. Because that's like that's when you get when you you get your maddest at that. Yeah, and the reason why is because that's what brought us to where we are right now with Trump, and and I don't see this kind of stuff going on with Giglio and all that kind of stuff getting us any better down the road. This kind of light conversation, we need to have the conversation. They're not talking about the root of the problem. I shared with you guys, and we should probably post a link, a talk given by William Barber, and he's a pastor. The favorite pastor of the Godless Heathens podcast. He's a, he's my favorite pastor. If I had to have a pastor, he would be my guy. But he talks about where all the levels of injustice are. It's not just police brutality You know, that's a big one, but I mean, there's so many other ways. We were talking on, I think it was on a podcast about the food deserts Yes. in the black community. And it's not just food deserts, but it's job deserts too. You know, what kind of jobs are in those areas? So that's a form of injustice. Cutting social security is a form of white privilege injustice. The COVID virus we're seeing as a form of that kind of injustice. All kinds of things down the line that we don't really think about that are all kind of reinforcing that injustice. So he really had a good, I I don't know if you would call it a sermon, but he was preaching it. And that's the message that is uncomfortable for all of us to hear, but we need to hear. And it's not just sitting with the CEO of Chick-fil-A. I think I told Don this, one of the weirdest things during that, whatever you want to call that, conversation is Dan Cathy brought with him a shoe brush and so at one point of it he went over and was trying to shine the shoes of Lecrae and it's like again I, I kind of get so you're trying to be subservient or whatever do the Jesus-y kind of thing was that some sort of a substitute of of the washing of the feet perhaps which was the way I understand it in biblical times that was like almost the ultimate in submissiveness is because people wore sandals and walked around in the dirt right, all the time right. and it was like 
camel dung everywhere, you know. So people's feet were just absolutely disgusting. So the act of washing another person's feet was almost like the ultimate act of submission right. to, to that person in that time. Maybe that's what he was trying to do. But to me, there's that racial kind of connection with shining shoes that just kind of smacked me. Probably, I don't know if it smacked uh, anybody else watching it or not, but it's like, eh, it's kind of a weird... And you could tell Lecrae was kind of uncomfortable with it. First of all, he didn't have shoes that you could shine. Then he said something about, well, I'd rather have Chick-fil-A stock. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Cool story. However, what made you mad? Yeah. You were mad. No, I wouldn't use the word mad. I would use the word extremely distraught. I don't see the difference. Yeah. I think what Jerry's pushing towards is... When you saw this, when this story broke, and when you first saw this, did it shock you in any way? I, I guess, you know, it kind of shocked me because, like, I couldn't see Andy Stanley trying to make that weird word choice. It was kind of bizarre from that standpoint. But to also know that this guy, you know, this wasn't just an off-the-cuff thing. He wasn't just throwing that out because he had many things he tried to unpack with that. This was a concept that he'd been working on. He'd been he'd been noodling on this for a while. It wasn't just something thought of on the cuff. No, was, and so and then he came out with an apology video trying to say that's not what I meant, which is almost equally as bad. It's exactly what you meant because you had a lot of thought behind it. You're sorry it didn't gain traction and it blew up in your face. That's what you're sorry about. But I guess what my disappointment is, is because it really is shining a light on how the evangelical church sees race in America. They just see things in terms of blessings and curses. So it's very much like the prosperity gospel in that way. That was- Speaking to Jerry's point, and I think I'm making Jerry's point for him. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think Jerry is more shocked that you're still shocked by these people's actions. That is correct. Okay, I thought so. I thought that's where you were going. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know. I, I shouldn't be. I'm not. Yeah, I wouldn't use the word shocked. I'm, I'm just continually disappointed as this is the group that has this much power in America and will continue to have power in America. So it's more of a facepalm moment. Because I know that the William Barber Church is dying and doesn't really have a voice. He's marginalized, unfortunately. You didn't see a lot of press in CNN and stuff like that with what he was saying. But, you know, you see a lot of Washington Post and all this stuff picking up on this thing. So they're they're giving the press to, to Louis here. But the voice that needs to be heard is on the margin. And it used to be flipped decades ago. William Barber isn't pushing any paper. Well, yeah, he doesn't have a mega church. He's got a group, you know, like the Poor People's Campaign, I think is what it's called. Hang on, you're mad about the media coverage? No, no. Yeah, sounds like it. Well, I mean, (laughs) but that's not their fault. Oh, absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. 100% their fault. They choose to put every story on the air. They prioritize. They are the ones that decide what goes on their air, their website, their newspaper, whatever. So anything that you see is a choice. Yeah, I understand what you're saying there. But what I'm saying, though, is by a far margin, the evangelical segment or whatever far and away exceeds the mainline progressive church. 
I think you're reading too much into it. I think you could file this under mega church preacher sitting with black rapper and CEO of Chick-fil-A, puts his foot in his mouth, and then when he's done, he takes his other foot and puts it in his mouth too. Yeah, but what you're missing is that this Giglio, I mean, he had a connection to Obama. So he had that connection to the White House. And Dan Cathy probably has that same access. And, you know, he, he made a point. He was saying he was talking to the mayor of Atlanta. So these guys have connections to politicians. Yeah, the CEO of Chick-fil-A calls the governor or the, uh, the mayor of Atlanta. They very well may take that call, pick up the phone. unlike yeah. me or you. And, you know, and Giglio has those same kind of connections, like it or not. He's got huge connections. So Right. He's got so many connections. We never heard of him until he said something super dumb. I know, but that's the whole problem is these books that I've read that I recommend, and I'll have another one tonight. This stuff has been going on under the surface, unnoticed for a long time. And so it's like when it's finally risen its head above the surface, we seem shocked about it. No, 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 no. You did. <laughs> and that's actually the point. You were shocked about this. Don, and just maybe it's because we are bitter and jaded. But when he said that, it was more like a, hmm, no shit. And you were like, this is an outrage. Well, it and, and like I say, and I'm sticking to that point, is because a lot of people aren't aware of the connections that he has with thousands and thousands of people that he's influencing so yeah he tried to walk that back but he said it people know he meant it so that's gonna form in people's mind is like yeah i don't have privilege i have blessings right but you're still capable of hearing that and having it hit like a fresh nerve and that may be a credit to you as opposed to the dead hearts and souls of don and i <laughs> because when when I heard that, I was like, dumbass thing to say. But it's on brand, so it was kind of expected. Totally. That earlier in the show when I was talking about things going in my ear and out the other and leaving a mark, that one didn't leave a mark at all. That one just flew right through. Yep. Like shit through a goose. Grease lightning, baby. Well, in the grand scheme of things, it'll probably be forgotten a couple of weeks from now. Let me ask you this. Do you think when it's all said and done, say six months, a year from now, do you think he lost people or picked up people because of this whole thing? Was this a net positive in his eyes? It'll be spun. He's already tried to spin it with his apology and all that kind of stuff. So there won't be any... Wait, wait, wait. He wasn't sincere? Huh. <laughs> are they ever? Are they ever sincere? That's my question for you, Jeff. You can see in his heart, huh? Okay, so is Pence <laughs> sincere? <laughs> I can, I can see Pence's heart. <laughs> You're going to be squinting. <laughs> <laughs> you got a microscope over there? So I'm going to totally give you the opportunity to speak for yourself, but I'm going to speak for you now. You think the apology was basically performative and he was just trying to recover and maintain his large church, his following, his business. It was more damage control more than an apology. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I did see there was a Lecrae came out because a lot of people were pushing back on him. It's like, why did you sit there and say nothing? Yeah. Why didn't you call him out on this? And I think, you know, I think his explanation was he was kind of caught off guard and didn't want to make a scene. So that's kind of like covering his ass also. So there's another guy that I've never heard of before. 
a Christian rapper. That's probably why. I really don't have my finger on the pulse of the Christian rap scenes. He's flying under my radar as well, too. I only wish that he had scheduling difficulties and wasn't able to make it and, and instead called his buddy Killer Mike and sent him down there instead. I think we would have had a much better conversation. I think it's kind of tough to assume somebody in that position is just going to, like, go off. In what position? At Lecrae you're talking about? Yeah. CEO of Chick-fil-A, pretty big dude. Apparently this uh, extra from The Sopranos, Louis Giglio, and I can I can say that because I'm Italian. Louis Giggles down at the docks. <laughs> you see him, it's the last thing you giggle. <laughs> this is a high-end, very accomplished people. And first of all, you probably never expect it. You're going to call bullshit? I don't think that's that guy's M.O. He had to do kind of an apology video afterwards. He did, yeah. Yeah, because he got called out, too. The net is, that was a poor choice of words, but he was like, no shit. But, you know, I mean, he's an evangelical. I think he's performed at a lot of these passion conferences, so they have a history going long back. So, of course, they're not going to destroy that financial relationship. Uh, <laughs> Our people good, their people bad. <laughs> Let me ask you this, because you've, you've used this passion conference phrase more than once. When they use that term passion, what definition of the word passion are, are they referring? Are they referring to passion as in a want, a need, or are they talking about it in the terms of Jesus's suffering? Because that's also a passion. Yeah, and his church is called Passion City, so I'm assuming we can get Louie on the show. We can ask him directly. You can invite him at the end. I don't think he's going to show up. Him and Andy, they can carpool if they want truck pool they were buddies way back they went to church camp together and stuff yeah his his church passion church or whatever you call it is that the suffering of christ passion or is this the burning desire of of love that's magic city don not passion city oh it's magic magic <laughs> it's not magic city that's a that's a strip club on the south side come on now. <laughs> that's what you were describing oh okay come on keep up with me <laughs> I had never heard of the whole concept. There's a thing, the Atlanta Passion Play. Never heard of that before until coming down here. The Passion of the Christ, the movie of the different attributes of all the dying and rising Savior gods, Jesus being one of those that ever existed throughout history, a passion is part of the story, just like some sort of unnatural birth is part of the story. And they use that word passion as they had to go through some sort of hardship along the way. So it fits the pattern. But what does it mean in the Christian sense then? Because it's not a Catholic thing as far as I know. But then again, I should ask Jeff, because I was only raised Catholic. I don't know anything about it. My, I mean, you know, my understanding, it's been a long time since I've looked at that, but I think passion comes from a Latin root word that means suffering. That actually makes sense to the passion as far as if you have a passion for something, it's a type of suffering right, because right. it's an unfulfilled need or want. Well, and you think like compassion means to suffer with. You're suffering with that person. So, oh. So, so they, okay. They, uh, so, you know, it's got multiple meanings depending who you are, but so it's a cl kind of a clever name that he picked. Did not know any of that. You always learn something on his podcast. If it's about religion, <laughs> usually you. If it's about the Bible, Don. Well, Definitely. <laughs> yep, yep. But it, it did make you mad. 
Well, mad from the standpoint is you see that these kind of things are not shifting at all. When you see this conversation during this racial tension that we're having now, you would hope it would be something that's going to advance the ball forward. And instead, it boots the ball backwards. Huh. We're trying to move in a certain direction and certain people are throwing out anchors that are dragging us down. Shows, you know, the work that we have to do against the predominant you know, if we're talking about as atheists, predominant religion out there, these are the people that we're working against. And this is their kind of level of thinking about racial injustice. They're, it's very surface level kind of stuff. Hmm. Because the other thing that was interesting in this little conversation they were having was Giglio was also trying to compare that Christ also couldn't breathe. On the cross when he was dying, crucifixion, the way it's set up is you can't breathe. So... And he died during the day. So he was trying to make all these contrasts, you know, to the Minneapolis killing. Is that somehow God was using George Floyd's death as an analogy? I guess. Oh, that guy can fuck off even harder. The whole thing is just trying to dumb it down, I guess. It's like all about Jesus, all about God. It's not about injustice anymore. It's like God has a purpose here. He was suffering with the foot on the neck, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So it's like. That's just bizarre, but that's, you know, who's got the voice right now Hmm. and who's teaching the youth of America. I haven't heard that take, but that is probably one of the most disgusting things that that I've heard in the last week or so. Why do you even need to make that comparison? Ah, there's my opening. I'm going to not do this to be contrarian, but why is that not seen as a sign of success? Because until now... None of those people would have ever mentioned it. They wouldn't have discussed it. They wouldn't have thought it was worthy. They didn't think that any of their people were paying attention. They were oblivious at best and dismissive at worst. They, you mean who? Who are you talking about for the they? The Giglios and the Andy Stanleys and the... The evangelical pastors and, of the and world. Not, and not just that. There is a level of, and I don't want to sound like the atheist for liberty, but there is a level of performative wokeness that is going on now that hasn't reached the point where you would get multiple COVID emails a day from companies you do business with about how they were dedicated to this and their touchless that. And you know, your email box will be full of what they're doing about COVID and how much they're concerned about it. Now, those emails are starting to come from corporations about protest, about racial justice, about donating money. It's coming from Everywhere. Every Fortune 500 CEO has had to write a memo about race relations in the last couple of weeks. At a minimum, you know, because now, now you're starting to get the emails telling people what they are doing about it. Part of me is like, yeah, that's progress. And then part of me is like, they're just checking another box. Look. That's marketing. We kind of argued about this. But the NFL coming out and, you know, being for protest. Really? What about Trump coming out saying that Kaepernick should get a job in the NFL? What happened to get that son of a bitch off the field? Did you see that? No, he didn't say that. I saw a thing earlier this week where he came out basically in support of Kaepernick getting a job in the NFL. I'm like, you have got to be shitting me. You know what? You just jeffed me. (laughs) 
because... <laughs> I didn't know that was a verb. It is now. It, to Jeff is to feel an emotion about something that you should know better about. And for 20 minutes, <laughs> I was talking about him getting mad at evangelicals and he should know better. And you drop a dotard pearl and just, I walked right into that plate glass, plain glass door. Just bam. You never saw I, it coming. I didn't. I'll, I'll have to go back and find this. And No, I don't. I just don't. <laughs> I shouldn't be surprised. Well, it's the same thing he came out and said about the, the and we're going to talk about this, but the recent CODIS ruling on LGBTQ and, and trans rights. He came out and was talking about, well, you have to respect the courts and their decision and blah, 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 blah. Who is this guy? Where did this come from? No, oh, but he said they don't like him. The Supreme Court doesn't like him. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he came out today and says, it's like they have something, you know, personally against me. See, I'm back to not being surprised about anything. That was me prior to hearing about the Kaepernick stuff. So beware, kids. It can happen to everyone. <laughs> You're not immune to being Jeffed. The fear is if you're not jeffed, you get numb. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. if you're numb, you know, and you got no feeling and it doesn't hit anything and maybe you've given up or you can't, I can't or try not to live these days like in this perpetual state of angst. You should be periodically jeffed. If not, then something's wrong. You're just trying to make me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anger can move you towards action. I guess sometimes it can move you towards apathy, but to me, it's like we need to be aware of what's going on and see what we can do to change shit, because I don't I don't like what the future holds if, if Trump gets reelected. What are you ready to give up to change things? Because, by the way, those are the next questions that are coming up for the white people that want things to change. Cool. What are you going to give up? There's not going to be like this easy path. If I do this and not that and do a little more of that, I'm going to be good. Because it's not going to be that easy and it's not going to be that clean. Let's say that you should pay more in taxes to go to a reparations fund. Do you be good with that? If so, what's your number? 2% more? 5% more? Yeah, I don't know if there's if I could figure out a number. Well, and not, not just funding that, but I mean funding like an alternative police force that is addressing like mental illness, a social force kind of thing. Yeah, how much would I pay to fund that? But it's not just paying money to do that. I think we have to be more involved locally. It's not like we just vote for Biden and hopefully he gets elected and then we think that our, our job is done. No, my understanding is, and that's what I got from Barber too, is you have to be involved very locally, not just with your local city council, your school board and things like that. That's where that stuff starts to impact. That's also where the right has concentrated its effort. Oh, absolutely. Say what you will about them. They're, they're well organized and they have a plan and they stick to it. And when you say the right, and they get results. a lot of this comes from the evangelical organizations that have been all about this. And, and we don't have anything on our side that equates with that. And mm -mm. We, we need to get that going. And, you know, we don't have congregations that we can speak to and things like that. So I'm not quite sure what tools we use to get there. But we need to figure that stuff out because they're super talented at that. If you think it's not in the end going to be about money, I got some bad news for you. Well, no, it'll be money as well. But I'm just saying that, that it's also about getting a voice. It's not just paying. That's the easy way out. No, no, no. Mm. 
you know what I'm saying is is both and just like when you want to contribute to some of these races like in Kentucky to get Mitch the hell out of there and then you want to contribute to get David Perdue Kelly Loeffler Susan Collins Lindsey Graham yeah John Cornyn yeah the list goes on and on but there's stuff also that we forget about like it like I was saying the school board that we kind of overlook we don't think that that's got enough importance and if you look at the city council. Look how many people with the R are in there, unopposed. Good. What are you running for? I'm too old for that shit. Oh, you're at perfect age. You got nothing to lose. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. No one can touch you. Bulletproof. Come on, you've made your money. Now it's time to amass power. I need the power. <laughs> I'll find somebody that's younger that can do it and then do what I can to, to help them. Do we want to move on to the one good thing that has happened and seems like forever? Hmm. How are we going to rain on that? Let's go. We actually have good news that has come down in the last week, and I alluded to it earlier. Because I am drinking my road full of promise, so we need we need some of that. There you go. There you go. So what is it? Preach it. The Supreme Court, the current Supreme Court, which is stacked to the right, actually came down with a pro-LGBTQ ruling this last week. Talk about knock me over with a feather. I did not see this coming at all. When I first even heard that they ruled in this favor, I thought possibly 5-4, but it was a 6-3 decision. And Trump's nomination, his first of two Supreme Court justices that he's put on the bench, the guy that Mitch McConnell stole the nomination from, from Obama by just not bringing it to a vote, Neil Gorsuch actually wrote the decision. He is not your friend. He will never be your friend. Oh, no, no. I'm not blowing Gorsuch over here, but I'm just saying it was it was more shocking that he was the one. Roberts, I could see. If, if anything, if you told me, I'm not telling you any facts about the case, but this is the way that they ruled, I would say, okay, the four, I know the four that voted on this side. I know the four that voted on that side. Roberts was the swing vote, and he went with the liberals, and it was a 5-4 decision. When I found out that Gorsuch went that way, along with Roberts, that was the most shocking thing of all out of the entire decision. He actually wrote the, the, the I can think of the other side, the dissent. What, what do you call it when you write the victorious side of, of the argument? The winners. <laughs> I think there's a technical term for it, but we'll go with winners. <laughs> And then the losers. But yeah, that that was probably, the to me at least, that was the most shocking side of it, that Gorsuch was the one that broke ranks and went with the four liberal judges. This was all based on a civil rights law written back in the 1960s, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, civil rights, yeah. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's, it's illegal for an employer to discriminate against somebody because of either sexual preference or, or gender or, or any of those things. And and this is a huge case that actually one of the plaintiffs in that case was local here to the, to the metro Atlanta area. So what if it was all a big lie? What if the Supreme Court decision <laughs> what if the Supreme Court decision is a virtuous one, but what got it there from suburban Atlanta wasn't quite so virtuous. We good with that? You like how I put that on the tee for you to hit, did you? Hanging curveball. Back, 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 back. <laughs> what Jerry's alluding to is, is there was a really interesting article in 
the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that basically, it, the way I read the article was an AJC reporter tried to do kind of like a, now I don't want to say a puff piece, that this landmark decision came down and they ruled the way they was. And one of the plaintiffs being a local person, let's do a little background story on that person and how that case got started, where it derived from, what, what, what are the particulars of that case that led all the way to this landmark decision. Come to find out out, the basis of that case may not necessarily be true. Or not as presented, that everybody knew he was gay. We'll put the link in the show notes. And we'll also put a link for the Christian Post article as well. Imagine what side they took on the story. That basically the whole lawsuit started because this person was fired and he recruited social service advocates for a, a local county here in Atlanta. The reason that that he was a plaintiff on the lawsuit was that basically he was fired from his job because he was gay. But the facts of the case don't necessarily go along with that narrative. The villain, and, and you can't see this, but I'm making air quotes, the villain of the case was a Clayton County judge that knew this person. The, the judge and his wife and, and this particular person and his partner were social friends. They, they hung out on the weekends. They, the, the fact that this guy was gay was, was not news to the judge. For years and years and years. He was openly gay. It was, it was not news to anybody he worked with that he was gay. The reason that they say that he was fired was a misappropriation of taxpayer funds. That basically he said that he spent money for entertainment in his job of recruiting people. He was writing off a lot of stuff in you know, nightclub bills and restaurant bills and stuff. So basically, they're saying that he was basically just misappropriating funds. He was spending company money. $12,294. He got fired over that, and then the lawsuit was created, and basically it was argued that he was fired because he was gay. His ex-partner said it. His ex-partner is quoted saying that everybody knew he was gay. The judge, the villain, again, finger quotes, the, the villain of the story absolutely knew he was gay and had no issue with it whatsoever. The fact that this person was gay did not affect his job performance one way or the other. Didn't, didn't make him better at his job, didn't make him worse at his job. But to use that as an excuse for why he was fired and ended up getting a case that went all the way to the Supreme Court, which ended up having a landmark decision come down in favor of the gay community. Are, are we fine with it? Are we good with that? Yeah, we're good with that. Do the ends justify the means? Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> Reading the article, the thing that kept coming to my mind was the pulp fiction novel, the, the cop novel, the, the cop that just won't be contained by the rules. You know, he, he works outside the system to get the job done. Right. He's a lovable rogue. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's what this was. It was we're working outside the box, outside the system, but the results are the, the guilty party was found to be guilty and all things were good in the end. But how we got there may not be necessarily you know, up and up and above board. And are we fine with that? Is I, I'm sure that things have gone on in the past that have been detrimental to sides that we would be leaning towards. Is this something that makes that all justifiable? It all works itself out in the end. Well, what I wonder about is why wasn't this ever 
like exposed until after the fact. This is the first time this has come out. Is that right? As far as I know, it wasn't brought into the light until this particular reporter decided to let's flesh out the the surrounding story. Let's dig a little deeper into this and, and, and see where this came from and what was the origins of this. Yeah, but the Supreme Court wasn't the first stop on this journey. There was other courts that went through. That's why I'm kind of surprised that that somebody didn't say, uh, hey, let's kind of look at the facts of this case. And I don't know if that would have derailed it. I would imagine it would have derailed it if, nah. if it proved that it wasn't. We're, we're past the edge of our like legal knowledge. Oh, we are so far over our skis right now. It's ridiculous. Big time. But I'm just saying it just kind of surprises me that this was not uncovered until this little AJC reporter said, hey, let me ask a question here. You would think the opposition lawyers, the lawyers that were arguing against this case, would have done their due diligence and would have found this out. I don't think ultimately it has anything to do with that. Since the outcome is just, in our words, the Christian Post didn't think so. Of course not. They took a slightly different approach. It's actually probably a good frame to look at a story from either the facts or from something where there's more than one interpretation. Write in your head, write the Breitbart version. Write the Christian Post version. You will often come out with a different reality. That's why those stories are dangerous a lot of times, because there are enough facts in them to make somebody go, hmm, the media is doing us wrong because they've got facts in there. I mean, that's been my 100% consternation over the the Brooks story is the facts that are getting like just, just, just either ignored or set aside. And I'm only going to focus on this part. It's similar here that do we think that the ruling of the Supreme Court was a good one and just one? 100%. It certainly seems like the standing for it was a little bit different than anybody knew prior. But hey, the ends justify the means, which is a little, I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a little slippery because on the, on the other side of the ball, we wouldn't like it. I can't help but equate this and kind of draw an analogy to two other landmark legal decisions. And number one is the Rosa Parks case. Rosa Parks was put on that bus specifically for a reason, to sit in that seat and bring that case to justice. She was an activist. Exactly. From the way I understand it, that this actual situation just naturally occurred, but the person that it happened to was not the person that was going to be able to with the rigors of this case. So they went out, they found Rosa Parks, they set this thing up, and it set a ball in motion that got a desired result. And the world is better because of that. And also the same thing could be said about the Scopes Monkey trial. That whole thing was set up where this particular teacher in Tennessee was set up to do this to bring about this court case. And and this seems to be very much along the same lines where the facts of the case may not be exactly as they seem to be, but it's like you said, the, the ends justify the means. And I'm perfectly fine with it in, in the Rosa Parks case. I'm perfectly fine with it in, in the Scopes Monkey Trial case. I don't have an issue with it in this case either. But you see that you can see the potential slippery slope. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that kind of begs the question, is the other side bringing, let's let's say, like the abortion 
case. Are, are they doing that all above board also? Or are they using kind of... No, because they're the because they're the enemy, and their motives are never pure. Ours are pure. Not just that, but like the the Roe in the Roe versus Wade case. Apparently, she came out after the fact and, and kind of recanted uh, about abortion. She was supposedly born again Christian, all the rest of this stuff, and then it later came out that she was paid by the right wing uh, advocates to take that position as a feather in their cap against the whole abortion uh, controversy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The other side is not being above board either on the way they're bringing Oh, no, no, no. This is not a devil's on one side and angels on the other type of a situation. Religious analogy. there's, There's plenty enough blame go around on both ends. But this is something that pushes a progressive society forward or, or pushes a society in a in a progressive area. And and that is a, in my mind, that's a good thing. So I don't have a problem with it. Because it forces the Supreme Court to judge current day situation on something that was written to law back in 1964. And they found out that it's still, you know, it's still applicable today. Right. Yeah. So, and also this case kind of sets a precedent that whatever the, the next unprotected class that needs protection could be covered under this law as well, too, because that law was never written with transgender people in mind. So 60 years later, it's being applied to a, a different class than it was originally written for. Who's to say that 60 years from now, there's not another class of people that need protection under this law, and that law will then be extended to them as well, too. Hopefully, it doesn't take another 60 years. And by the way, it didn't force the Supreme Court to do anything. The Supreme Court picks and chooses the cases they want to handle. And from what I understand, and I'm not a legal scholar by any stretch, but there were certain aspects of this case that... Gorsuch and the winning side basically said, we're not dealing with that issue right now. We're kicking that can down the road. We'll deal with it later. We're dealing with this specifically right now. And this is the scope that this case is going to cover. And when that next thing arises, we'll deal with that in due time. Better get used to it because it's not going to be clean. And the push for racial justice and police reform is going to be super messy. And the backlash is going to be quick and maybe ugly. But we are past the days of clean because the other side is not clean at all. Right. But that's the never wrestle with a pig. What? <laughs> you never heard that? You never heard that? You're from Iowa. You've never heard the saying never wrestle with a pig? We had another expression, but I don't want to say it on here. Oh, now I definitely <laughs> want to hear this expression. Maybe off mic. You both end up covered in shit and the pig's happy about it. Right. Well, what's that to do with, with what we're talking about here? I don't get the... Because you just said the other side doesn't play fair, so we shouldn't either. That's kind of been the whole thing that got us here, is they've been cheating, and when they go low, we go high. It's like, well, at some point... Right, so we're going to get in the sty, and we're going to wrestle the pig, and we're going to both be covered in shit. Well... And they're going to be happy about it. Yeah, but it's better than going to the slaughterhouse and ending up bacon... I thought we were the rule of law folks now. I thought we were the ones that were doing that. And it's funny because they were always that side. Right. Still, they started breaking it all the time. Yeah, until they decided that it no longer applied to them. Well, with everything else, it was to me, it was, it was just nice to see good news for a change. You know, it's, it's been months, it seems like, 
since, and a lot of this has to do with, and we, to, we always refer to our Signal group. We should probably explain what that is. You know, Signal is just a, a messaging app, and we have a group set up with about six or eight of us. I think a lot of, we were talking about the angst that goes on in, in our lives. I think getting rid of this Signal group would go a long <laughs> way to doing that, because part of it is really the fact that I, I am not upset by what media I uncover. I'm also upset by the media that everybody else stumbles across and then shares with me. Hang on. I got a couple links for you. Wait a minute. You're going to love them. <laughs> <laughs> you can always turn off notifications, Don. So circling back to the beginning of the show, those are things that go in your head and may leave, but they leave a mark. And would you rather be oblivious? Being informed and and been out of shape is better than being oblivious to it. What's that moment in the in the Matrix? You want the steak and red wine? You don't want the red pill? As crazy and nuts as those folks are, they pride them. They think that they are seeing the world clearly. So are you seeing the world clearly if you don't know about all this stuff? No. Probably another podcast, but... Yep. Everybody's got to find their, you know, their happy spot between being informed and, you know, not being totally depressed about it all the time or not being informed and being just oblivious and what I don't know can't hurt me. Well, you know, like one concept is to take maybe the weekend off where you turn off notifications or whatever and be in la la land for that short couple of days and then you're back on it on Monday, but at least get kind of a little little break from the from the shitstorm. Does anybody have a recommendation this week? Let's go ahead and wrap this up. I have two quick ones. Both of your recommendations from last pod. You should watch Be Foreigners. Absolutely. Uh, which was criminally underrated. Terrific in so many ways. And Jeff's podcast recommendation of With Friends Like These because she's doing the whole season on conversion. And I will warn you, that pod is not for everybody. I stopped listening to it a long time ago. Yeah, but this segment, this series she's doing, yeah. The the, the one you recommended last week was, was really good. It can be kind of squishy. It gets Christian-y. It's a little too let's all pet our cats and emote. But it's good. I enjoyed it a lot. And those were good recommendations. I'm recommending your recommendations. But they were excellent. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Doubling down on the recommendations. Worthy of it. So what book are you reading currently? Okay, so I finished up Catherine Stewart's The Power of Worshippers, Inside Dangerous Rise of Religious Nationalism. Yeah, you, you recommended that last time, didn't you? Yeah, and this is why, you know, when I hear the Giglio stuff, I get kind of worked up. It's because, like, yeah, this stuff is going on, people. So the, uh, the one I'm reading right now is called Taking America Back for God, Christian Nationalism in the United States. Andrew Whitehead, I think, is the author, one of the authors. I think there's two authors in there. But it's kind of along the same kind of vein is, is why do so many uh, conservative Christians support Trump? And it's been this long dream of theirs to get a president that would go along with their nationalistic kind of kind of views. And, and yeah, and so it goes back to Giglio. Is, yeah, maybe he's not the, uh, the Robert Jeffries like the in-your-face kind of, but he's kind of like the Andy Stanley, the very friendly face that seems harmless. The kids love him, and but it's the same kind of mindset, you know, that's steering the country towards that 
Christian nationalism kind of thing. It's like God is the only answer. So I highly recommend that one from what I've read thus far. So hit us up and drop us a line at godlessheathensyahoo.com. Reaches out to us at Twitter at Godless Podcast and Patreon and iTunes. Subscribe, five-star review, all that good stuff. Jeff, you got anybody you want to, uh, other than Giglio, you did, I did hear earlier, you you did send out a little invite to Giglio. I, yeah, to I want Louis Giggly. Louis Giggles. Louis Giggles. All right, I'm, I'm fine then. If you're gonna if you're gonna invite him on the show, you need to email him and invite him officially. Anybody we recommend <laughs> that we uh, we want on the show, we need to officially uh, ask. Officially, okay, but I don't have access to the Yahoo accounts. So I'm not like you. Tell me what to write. I will put it in my own words and make you look worse. No, just kidding. Oh, that would be fun. That no, we should we should do that and CC Andy Stanley while you're at it. <laughs> Andy listens to our show, I'm sure. In his truck. I actually, I was thinking earlier when we were talking about this. Is what's the name of Giglio's church uh, again? Passion, Passion City. City. It's not very far from Sweetwater Brewery. Actually, it's right north of there. Let's kill two birds with one stone. What do you say when it is safe to do so again? Oh, I knew you were going to do this. Oh, yeah. I know. You, I know you knew I was going here. Is this our next church field trip? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm down. I'm down okay, we'll put it on on a virtual calendar for sometime in the future when it's safe to go back out again. If nothing else, to see the difference in what a Sunday service at Andy Stanley's church is versus a Sunday service at this particular guy's church is. Heads up, not a lot. <laughs> Oh, th- this is a huge surprise coming from you. <laughs> I think it would be worse. Maybe we could maybe we could get a copy okay, and then, of his album, Fruitcake and Ice Cream, and have him sign it. Are you making this up, or does he actually have an album called Fruitcake and Ice Cream? I would not lie about the good pastors. <laughs> and what brewery is he near? Sweetwater. So we'd have to head there afterwards, yeah. That is a definitely twofer. Oh, we'll yeah. do the church service on Sunday morning, and yeah. we'll, head to, we'll head for the debriefing at, at Sweetwater definitely afterwards. That would be required. All right. Well, on that note, we'll, uh, we'll see you all in two weeks. Bye. Everybody take care. Good night. Well, someone invented a party, and the devil is my friend. And the devil 